goodness, I totally forgot. Ah, we're live, and I forgot to tweet a picture. Oh, thanks, Pam. I I messed up. We're running a little bit late. So, uh, yeah, we're live, though. Um, this is JavaScript Air, your JavaScript broadcast podcast, all about JavaScript and the web platform. And uh, unfortunately, there's no no uh, tweet picture this time. I'm sorry. But uh, Wait, there is... a normal uh, tweet, and... Yeah, we'll do... We'll actually... Yeah, we'll do another tweet later. But... Uh, yeah, this is a show, and it's great. <laughs> so uh, we're actually, uh, this is a show I'm really excited about. It's called Publishing JavaScript Packages. And uh, yeah, I feel like we have some really good guests with different perspectives and, and experience doing this. And so I think it's going to be a great show. Before we get into it, though, I'd like to start out by uh, um, thanking our sponsors and giving them a special shout out. So. Egghead.io is the show's premier sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and more. And Egghead.io is also, also has uh, or hosts the uh, free Redux courses from Dan Abramoff. Find them at egghead.io slash Redux. There are two of them, and they're fantastic. Um, and then Frontend Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. And if you want to learn about open source, uh, come to my workshop uh, next month. Or if you want to learn about Webpack, I also have a workshop next month. So check that out. Uh, TrackJS uh, reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with our telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent code assistance for JavaScript, Node.js, Angular, and React, and integration with lots of different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com webstorm. And finally, Trading Technologies is looking for passionate and innovative uh, full-stack JavaScript developers who want to work on cutting-edge solutions in a collaborative and challenging environment. Go help them build the top choice platform for derivative traders. All right, great. So um, because this is a live show, we can chat with you, our viewers. So if you go to Twitter and with the hashtag JSAirQuestion, you ask a question, then we'll answer those at the end. It'll be awesome. Um, and because this is a weekly show, we um, are going to have another uh, broadcast next week at the same time. And uh, it's getting started with web audio. So I think it, that'll be an interesting show. I have very limited experience with uh, web audio. And so, yeah, I'll learn something. Hopefully, you will, too. OK, great. Let's go ahead and introduce who we have on the show today. So first, for our panel, we have Pam Selly. Hey. And I'm your host, Kent C. Dodds. And for our guests, we have Henry Zhu. Hey, everybody. And Stephen Boneman. Well, hi, everyone. And I mispronounced that. That's uh, Stefan. And did I say your last name right? That would be Bonneman. Bonneman. OK, awesome. Uh, James Kyle is going to join us shortly, hopefully. Uh, there was a little bit of a scheduling mi uh, mix-up. I wish I could say that's the first time that's ever happened. Um, so yeah, hopefully he joins us later. And then uh, John David Dalton. Hello, and Dagny. Hi. <laughs> Uh, bring your dog to work day, or are you working from home? Or <laughs> Oh, I'm just bringing her in today. So. Cool, cool. Awesome. So, um, yeah, so our, let's, our, our topic today is about publishing JavaScript packages, but I think it would be um, useful for us all to get to know each other a little bit. 
So Henry, why don't we start out with you? Could you just just give us an intro to who you are and like things that you like? <laughs> um, so I'm Henry. I work at Behance. Um, I like uh, open source. <laughs> so I, I maintain Babel and work on other various projects. And uh, I don't know, I've been playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. And Stefan? Ah, so here's the unmute. So hi, um, yeah, my name is Stefan. I'm working at the Swiss company Living Dogs. I am uh, running the service Greenkeeper IO, and I think why I'm <laughs> yeah, thank you for the cheers. Um, and the reason why I'm on this show is uh, because I've written um, a tool called Semantic Release, which helps with um, publishing modules. And one apology up front, I like uh, messed up the timing, so. I'm in an airport lounge, and I hope it's not too loud or anything. I'll hope this works out. Well, sounding good so far. Um, John. Hi, so I'm John David Dalton. I um, am the lead dev on Lodash. Lodash is super modular, and so I've had to come up with uh, ways to deal with uh, lots of opinions on modules and module formats and all of that stuff. So, yeah. Sweet. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, yeah, jump into it a little bit. So um, publishing a package on NPM should just be as easy as NPM publish, right? So why do we need to have like special tooling around you know publishing a, a package on on uh, NPM? Maybe it is that easy, and we can just say okay, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> so. For me, it's it's when you start dealing with hundreds of, of modules where it becomes a problem, um, and then you need something uh, like Lerna, or uh, I, I built my own script to deal with this um, because uh, Lodash is broken. It's a monolithic library that's that's then broken into modules, um, and so I have 400 now modules to to deal with. Uh, so I um, trying to manage them individually. 400 is is Super time consuming. Even with scripts, uh, it's still time consuming. Um, so that there's really no way to do it without without that, or else it would have to be like my my full time job, and that's not the case. Uh, so I have a, a script where um, I check to see if if any if only comments have changed, then I don't do a version bump. I just change the code in line. If dependencies change, then I do. Uh, I think that is a patch. Uh, a minor bump, um, and then if code changes but no dependencies change, then it's a patch release. Uh, and I have a script that, that uh, automates that and will also call out specific dependencies that, that don't change very often, like the is array and is number. I don't expect those to change a lot, so I have special logic in there for lists of that um, to help me manage that. Um, I know there's, there's other ways to do that, but for me, I'm... Um, I'm actually trying to move away from that uh, and to just go to the 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 single um, package that is modular. So then uh, that would be the single the single source instead of having 400 different packages. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, and um, I think I want to dive a little bit more into the way that you um, uh, like manage Lodash and uh, deploying those uh, 
or, or publishing those packages. But uh, Stefan, do you want to talk about like semantic release and how you solve this problem? Um, yeah, sure. So first, I, I want to describe the problem why npm publish isn't enough. So as John um, already said, um, one part of the problem is is we are living in a small modules world. There are just so so many, and um, there are a lot of repetitive steps. And it's not just about like doing npm publish once a week or once a day. It's about doing it over and over again for multiple um, packages. Some of us have like more than 100, so it's getting really, really tedious to get all these steps done in the correct way over and over again. But the second part for me um, is like that a release is not just uploading new code or um, like tagging this commit and then that's a release. That's um, for me that is not a complete release because we. Um, Staff communication in there. What has changed? Um, ideally, have um, a change log upload that to the same location where the users can find it. Um, so it's so it's 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 more than just making the code available, and that's why there are more more steps involved. And um, oftentimes, people just leave them off because they are annoying to do, and um, by automating them or having a defined system easier to have something. Even if it's not perfect, there is something, and people know where to look. So it makes it um, way easier to publish, but also to consume packages. Yeah, and I know that like earlier on, when I just had a, a handful of like maybe one or two packages that I would work on regularly, even that, like there are 10 steps at least every single time you want to push some new change. Um, and that's like fraught with human error and I made mistakes all the time, broke tons of people, and had to like deprecate versions. And it just takes a lot of a lot of work. Um, and so, yeah, even uh, with just a couple of packages, it's really useful to kind of automate that process a little bit. Uh, so, uh, do you want to talk about the semantic release and how that automates the process a little? Bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so, semantic release is. Um, building on commit message conventions, uh, which means you annotate, uh, um, semantically annotate the, the source code, or rather the changes you do to the source code by the time you do that. And so um, this is um, taken from, from the Angular project. I think it's like grown into many more projects now, and it's like it's pretty common um, um, commit message style that I can link up. And so um, I really liked how Angular managed their, their change logs. And I um, saw that like these, how they are tagging their commits is almost directly mapping to um, semantic versioning or the types of different versions. So if you have a commit message that includes a new feature, then um, that hints towards a new feature version. Or if you have a fix and nothing else, then that's a fixed version. Or if you have a commit message that documents the breaking change, um, then you can like you can just simply reuse that information, but it also goes the other way. If you make the publishing dependent on this information, it forces you to write this information down because otherwise you can no longer publish packages. And that was like my um, idea of on, on the one side making it easier, making the publishing process uh, way less tedious, but also making making it. Um, force you or everyone to use um, these best practices to document what you've done to write breaking change annotations and stuff like that. So then um, whenever you um, get this code onto um, the master branch, for example, 
the CI uh, will run and see, look at all the commits that happened since the last time you published, and if there is, for example, a new fix, it will just publish that automatically. Use that information, generate a change log, and you don't have to, you don't even decide that there's a, a publish happening, it's just happening on its own. Yeah, and I can say for me, like, I, I was really skeptical with semantic release. Even, actually, I should link to the conversation I had with Stefan about um, semantic release when I was trying to decide whether I should use it. Um, I was really skeptical, but once I started using it, just like, oh, this is so nice. Like, even packages that I don't really maintain much or, or use myself or anything, I can still continue to maintain them and publish them because it's all happening automatically for me. Um, so yeah, it's it's really magical. I recommend people check it out. Um, so yeah, actually, why, why don't we have Henry, why don't you explain um, how you've kind of solved this problem so that Unique is... Yeah, okay. Um, so the project that uh, we use is called Lerna. And it actually was just just like um, what John said. It's just a bunch of scripts that Sebastian made for Babel. Because um, every time we had to do a release, you had to do all these manual steps. And then later when you know we had more maintainers and I joined to help out, it was it was confusing because I didn't know what to do. So what he did was just automate a lot of those steps. And eventually we realized um, you know this could be generalized so that other projects can use it too. So I know uh, James, who's not on the show right now, but he did a lot of work to rewrite a lot of the logic because it was literally just one file. Um, and that like, somehow became its own project. Um, and we didn't really even market it at all, and uh, other people are using it too because um, a lot of people want to use uh, a monorepo. And so in Babel 5, uh, Babel was just a single package, and I I guess a lot of you know that in Babel 6, everything was modularized. And so what it means is that Babel Git repo is a, a set of NPM packages. Um, and they all have uh, in, in their own folders. And so learn what it does is just help you to automate all the Git commands and NPM commands that you would normally do. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I think like, it, that solution kind of caters to a different type of, of problem, right? When you have a lot of packages that need to be um, uh, published together. It almost, it sounds like Lodash might be able to benefit from this kind of approach. Have you thought about it, uh, doing that, John? Yeah, I've looked at it, um, and it's something that, that I could do. It's so similar to what I'm already doing. So Lodash is a monorepo in one of its branches. So if you go to the... Uh, the Lodash repo and you go to the NPM packages branch, you'll see all the NPM packages for uh, the modularized uh, uh, builds. Um, and so I have my own script that does it and it's not great, it's super hacky. Uh, the, my whole build step is super hacky. I'm, I'm hoping to get rid of it uh, in version 5. Uh, it's, built, it's based on regexes um, because that's great. Uh, uh, so um, yeah, it's it's something I've I've cobbled together over the last four years, and I'm ready to get rid of it. So yeah, when I when I saw Lerna come out, and I, I saw that it's it's maturing and and getting better documentation and more features, like I'm seriously looking at that for uh, for going on uh, in the future. Uh, if I if I continue to use the mono repo, 
Um, I'm still on the fence about that, just because it's it's a lot easier for me to just punt and say, uh, use the one package because it's got all the modules in it already. So, but yeah, no, that's that's great. Learn is fantastic. So, what about like? Uh, I I think it could be useful to talk a little bit about uh, like how you know what version to bump um, when you're publishing a package. So whether you're using um, any like any project or, or no project at all to do your uh, your publishing, I, we should probably mention there's also uh, Sindresaurus has a package called NP. Uh, I think that's short for Node Publish or NPM Publish. Um, but it, it like it also kind of automates this uh, as well. It also guards against the uh, NPM Publish issues. Um, so if you publish a lot of packages, you'll know that uh, NPM has had some problems with uh, the node versions and corrupting your published packages. I believe they've got patches uh, and released fixes now, but for a time, um, if you were on node 6, you'd likely publish a package without a readme or without an index.js, which is not great. Um, and so I'd have to do a lot of things like um, make sure I MVM uh, to node 4 before doing a publish. I'm, I'm so superstitious that I uh, I, all, I never straight publish from a package. I always npm pack first, inspect the package, uh, and then publish from within the package um, just to make sure that I'm not accidentally including things that I shouldn't be um, and doing it that way. So, oh, sorry. Yeah, actually, on that, uh, that note, I accidentally published a, like a 9 megabyte GIF uh, in one of my packages, so like that totally can happen. <laughs> I accidentally published my uh, uncompressed, pa so I npm pack, and I accidentally published a version of, of Lodash that had the package folder inside of it, so it was doubling the package size because it was <laughs> within the package. Uh, no one caught it though, like I can't believe it. It, w it was that way for like two weeks, but it's fixed now, so. Yeah. Well, once once we automate things with our tools, we kind of tend to forget it and not think about it. Um, you know, I've I've seen some cases where people will be using a bundler and and find that oh, I've got two versions of jQuery in here. <laughs> like, so yeah, there there's a danger to automating stuff for sure. Um, so I I wanted to talk about Semver though. Could we could we chat about like why does Semver matter? What do... Oh, uh, Stefan, did you have something else you wanted to actually touch on? Yeah, before just, um, just to, to complete that, because um, John mentioned these problems with NPM 6, and I'm not 100% sure, um, but I think they are fixed, and by the, uh, like when they were um, still there, um, NPM added that one um, as well. So um, when you publish from NPM 6, I think... I'm not sure if it just arrowed out or um, added a, um, had a warning, but npm added that as well. Yeah, that's been fixed. If you publish with uh, 6.3, then you should be good. Hooray! Yeah, that was awesome. Pam, did you have something else? Yeah, so I just had a quick question, because it's hard to keep track of all these different packages you are talking about. So you were about to talk about Semver, which I'm guessing is semantic versioning. Is this the same thing as semantic release, which is a repository under the semantic release organization? Yeah, good question. Uh, so, for, yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for bringing us back to like making sure everybody knows what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to talk about Semver, which does stand for, or is short for semantic uh, versioning. Uh, and so it's it's a specification. So it's, um, a, it's a, like it's a. Um, 
Yeah, so it's like a spec, not necessarily like a tool. Exactly, yeah, and then yeah. semantic release utilizes that spec as well as your commit messages and, and that kind of thing to automate your releases, and that's the thing uh, Stefan was talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, who does anybody want to talk about uh, Semver and how those, those three numbers in our versioning uh, work? I can, sure. Um, so I, a lot of people, um, I'll just get into it. Here's how I think Simver is. Uh, for me, breaking changes are a major version bump. Uh, new features are a minor version bump. And bug fixes are a patch version bump. Uh, and I, I stick to that. Um, I try to, there's always room for interpretation there on like what's a bug fix versus what's a breaking change. Um, and uh, I use like best judgment for that. I try to keep major version bumps to once a year for, for Lodash itself just because there's a lot of like packages that depend on it and then upgrading and then all of that stuff. So I try to keep that as minimal as possible. But yeah, that's, that's how I see it. Is if you're going to introduce a breaking change, save it for a major bump, uh, any kind of new uh, feature, just minor, and then bug fixes or, or patch. Yeah, and so just to um, bring it back even further, uh, in your version for um, your NPM modules, the version consists of three numbers separated by dots. So that first number is the major, the middle number is minor, and then the last number, or the, uh, the number furthest on the right side <laughs> is, uh, is the patch. Um, yeah, and that that way, and actually NPM um, takes this into consideration when resolving your, uh, like the versions that you've listed in your package JSON. Um, and so you can say, I want to uh, take this version and any minor versions higher than this. Um, that You can use the, the caret. Or I want to use this version and any patch versions higher than this. And that's the tilde. And, um, and then you can go like crazy and just put a star in there. And that's like probably a bad idea. But <laughs> don't do that. Don't do the star. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, James just joined us. Hi, James. You look like you're outside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here at the Facebook campus. Beauty. Um, so actually, let's uh, let's go ahead and give James an opportunity to to introduce himself. There was a little bit of a timing issue, so apologize for that, James. Uh, do you want to just give yourself a, a quick introduction? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I. I'm working at Facebook, uh, and I do a lot of open source stuff. I'm one of the like sort of core contributors to Babel as well as uh, Lerna now. Uh, I've been been watching a little bit, so I can sort of tune right back into this conversation, hopefully. So, cool. Thanks for joining. So um, we were just talking about Semver. Did anybody else want to uh, like touch on uh, Semver at all, or like any other comments about? Uh, semantic versioning. I have comments. Um, sure. Uh, so semantic versioning, if you're in the NPM ecosystem, is is the way to to to, to handle your releases. Um, it's so handy to uh, be able to just use the caret, um, and then your 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 users can forget about it. Like if you have a bug fix or new features, they don't have to worry usually about that breaking their their stuff, which is super nice. Um, you can get into issues where there's unintended bugs that are introduced and things like that, but generally it's it's fantastic. I mean, um, it's I've, I've even leveraged the, the caret and tilde uh, 
in the individual modularized packages for Lodash. So in t I have internal packages, like they, they begin with like an underscore prefix, um, and um, some of my, uh, the external packages depend on them. Um, but I don't want internal packages to be held to the same uh, standard as external. So I would like to introduce breaking changes to internal methods more often than external. Uh, and so I can, I can say internal packages use the tilde in my builds process for, for versioning these, and external ones use the caret. Uh, and so that allows me to, to have a little bit more freedom in changing my internal methods. Uh, so yeah, I'd, 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 uh, if, you're, if you're ever in a competition with another library uh, and you want a, a selling feature, Say, hey, I follow semantic versioning. All right, that that helped me so much. Like whenever I was going against the other guys, I um, turned out, you know, if they if they end up breaking on minor patches and you don't, then you're gonna just get all those users. So it, it's a good thing to follow. It helps. Yeah. Cool. Stefan, did you have something else in addition? Yeah. So uh, one thing I wanted to add is like that semantic versioning is one spec or one way to do this and I think it's um, the, the dominant one in the in the node world and NPM like says it's using assembler for its version numbers um, but there was or is a lot of conflict here because especially with the major version numbers that are used for breaking changes um, a lot of people associate that with big change which they reserve for um, exciting new stuff or marketing or whatever. So like like Web 2.0 or HTTP 2, it's like it's a new major version. So it's a thing we've been building from the ground up, and it's like something to be excited about and to write blog posts about. And so um, there's a little bit of a conflict because people either expect um, something exciting from 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 major versions when it's just a breaking change or um, people want to reserve their, their major versions for something they can celebrate or market or something. So that's a little bit of a um, conflict there, even though I'm strongly on the side of um, Samber and using that for, for communication of breaking changes. Cool. I, um, I would agree with that, too. I, I think that... Uh, some libraries can can build up their major version bump, um, and you just need to get used to saying like, "Hey, a 2.0 is is going to come, a 3.0, a 4, a 5, a 6," um, and to not put so much pressure on the major version bump. Um, I've seen libraries like come and go, uh, waiting for their 2.0 release. Um, so it's just something to just to, to, to schedule, put it on your roadmap, say, hey, these changes are going to come, let's do a major version bump, and then just, just keep it going. If you, if you put too much pressure for that, that major version bump, then yeah, you can drag it out. But with Simver, you just got to get used to doing like, lots of, of, of major releases over time. One of the things that worked really well in the early days of Babel, it was the uh, sort of instant versioning that we did. Uh, when we had changes, we published them immediately rather than waiting to. Uh, and this meant higher response time for bug fixes, new features, 
Uh, we weren't afraid to make breaking changes early on, which led us to having like a lot of flexibility and sort of setting expectations to our users. Uh, and then as it stabilized over time, we were able to sort of slow down on that and um, get, once we were where we wanted to be, it uh, was a lot more stable rather than sort of holding on to changes forever, like you mentioned. Cool, yeah, so actually I kind of am curious um, a little bit about Babel um, because Babel is in kind of a unique situation because the um, like the stage two preset, for example, when a feature gets, um, or maybe a better example would be like the stage zero preset. So like uh, some of the stage zero features are uh, parser specific, like they need a special logic in the parser to be able to parse these new features. And then if something gets dropped from the spec, then you have to drop it from the stage uh, zero preset and maybe even the parser. So how do you manage that kind of a breaking change where it's not entirely in your control and you're just kind of like whatever the spec is, is what this stage represents? Uh, yeah, so Semver is a really good guideline on sort of individual projects, um, but the, the trouble with them is that they do not communicate everything that there is to communicate. Uh, it doesn't say uh, sort of ecosystem-like things, like this is only going to work with this version of Node and can't communicate stuff like it's this version of JavaScript or things like that. So we have this like problem space of almost needing to invent our own package manager in order to support all these things at the same time. Uh, and it's 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 messy for something as complicated as Babel, but for the majority of projects, it works quite well. Um, uh, but yeah, there there are certainly some shortcomings of Semver, uh, and that is one of the big ones. Interesting. Cool. So, um, if I wanted, like, if I was just getting into this and I wanted to start um, learning, or, or like maybe I've got a library out there, I'm just running npm publish myself. Where would you all recommend that I go to look at automating uh, some of this process? Or should I even put in the effort to automate that? Like, why would I want to automate it, and, and how would I go about doing that? Um, I feel like what you should do is just write down the actual commands that you've been running. Um, and then over time, you'll realize, like, oh, I'm, I have to do a build step every time, or I have to change the, add the change log every time. And over time, you'll end up with you know the list of commands that you run every time, and then then you can just write your own script for it. Um, I mean, maybe eventually you could look at a project like Lerna, uh, which just generalizes everything. But I think there's no reason to uh, go out of your way if it's already working for you. Anyone else have a perspective? I'm guilty of not doing enough automation. I still manually, like, I use my text editor for it. I Every time I do a version bump on most of my packages, I control F for the, the package for the version number and replace and stuff like that. So uh, I, I've seen that cause some problems when maintainers take a leave of absence and you have secondary contributors um, uh, trying to do a release. There's lots of things that aren't there. Uh, so it, it makes me think that, you know, if I ever want to take a break, I've got to start to automate this stuff to make it easier for people to publish. So, yeah, totally. I mentioned that before, but that's exactly what happened with Babel. Um, 
in order for me or anyone else to make a release, we have to learn all this stuff. And so Sebastian ended up making the, the script. So all I had to do is just run one command to publish everything. Um, so I think it would be um, like interesting if it's not the first time you're publishing, if you, but if you're repeatedly publishing and you're like having lots of repeated steps, but also you're not fully aware of what steps you should be taking or maybe shouldn't taking, um, it's a good idea to um, look into what's actually happening when you uh, publish a package. And John um, previously mentioned npm pack. That's something I'd recommend. So um, when you publish an npm package um, locally, it packs up a tarball, and then that's uploaded to the um, to the npm registry. So it's um, interesting to understand what is ending up in this tarball. Why is it ending up there? Um, and like. Um, what steps should I take? Because, for example, what um, is, is um, a common thing that people don't do is like running npm prune, which is a command that just removes all the dependencies that are in your node modules folder but not in your package JSON. And that's something that can lead to very um, ugly bugs because, like, locally, when you run your build and stuff like that, um, it's all working. And so um, if you kind of have an understanding of, of what is happening under the hood, so what is ending up in this tarball, and how is my module then going to be rebuilt on the consumer's machine? Then uh, you you understand the steps that you that you have to take, and then um, you like it becomes pretty apparent that you want to automate them because there are so so many and so many um, mistakes and subtle things that you don't immediately notice, but only notice when it's too late. So um, yeah. Actually, on the on the note of npm prune. Um, and and like just in general optimizing uh, the package that you have. What are what are some of the optimizations that I could make? Like it, you know, if I just say okay, just publish everything. I don't even think about it. I could be publishing like a nine megabyte GIF or something. You know that that really doesn't matter. Or my tests or you know a bunch of stuff that doesn't necessarily need to go in the registry. And what that results in is when people install my package, they have to download all of that stuff, and and it makes it even uh, like take even longer. So what are some of the, the tips and tricks that you'd give people? Like, what are some actual things that they can do to reduce their package size? Um, so usually, like, just by default, um, npm pack will um, pick up files um, just like git would do. So if you have them in the in files in the git ignore, they don't end up in the um, in the tarball in the end. And then on top of that, there's the npm ignore file. Where if that's present, you can like override your own um, npm ignore uh, things you don't want to have in the in the package. But the thing that's a bit counterintuitive here is that like usually the things you want to have in source control are the opposite of what you want to be published. So if you transpile, the source code should be in the in the um, repository, and the build artifacts should be in the in the um, package. So the default isn't really working out very well. So what I am using now is in the package JSON. There you can add a files array, and then you can simply whitelist the things you want to um, have in your package. And I think that's a very good um, exercise to explicitly add things. You shouldn't be thinking about what to remove, but what is like it's perfect once you cannot remove anything anymore. So that's how you should address that.
And it's like a pro tip on that. Um, by default, it will always include the README and the license and the package JSON. So normally for me, that files array is just dist, and that like it just does the dist directory. It works out uh, great. Is there anything else uh, that you all have um, ideas of how to optimize your package? So I use the files uh, array if it's a small package, but for things like um, the the Lodash package, which is a collection of hundreds of modules, I, I don't do it that. I uh, I use the uh, the npm uh, ignore uh, for that, and then I, I examine the package with npm pack just to make sure, um, just because like 500 entries in there would be kind of gross. Um, I. I don't know. Does uh, I I haven't tried it in a while. Uh, does the files the files doesn't uh, array doesn't allow you to use like a grep, uh, or sorry, a glob uh, syntax? I think, right? I think it does. I'm pretty sure it does. That that'd be something to test out. Yeah. And it's also allowing you to use um, entire folders, so you don't have to look like it's it's called files, but it's files and folders. So. Ah, okay. Maybe I'll try that then, because I do have just specific folders of stuff. So. Yeah, something to think about. Another thing is, uh, and actually, uh, the NYC project, uh, it's uh, like instrumentation for uh, code coverage. And actually, with their release of 7.0, they're like the de facto um, now. Istanbul and NYC have like merged now, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, newsflash. So um, NYC, they were having trouble because like uh, they have a, a bunch of dependencies. And, and so they were having trouble with, when people would download their package, it'd take forever uh, installing all those other dependencies. And so another thing that you can do um, is use the bundle dependencies or bundled dependencies. It's like they're the exact same thing. And what that will do is, um, like normally when you publish your package, it'll ignore everything in the known modules. And then when somebody installs it, it'll install your dependencies. But when, if you list it, if you list a particular module in your bundled dependencies, then that will actually get published as well. So you run npm pack, and your package will actually have a node modules directory um, with the all the modules needed for that bundle dependency. So what's cool about that is um, when somebody goes to install, npm will say, "Oh, this package is in the bundle dependencies. I don't need to resolve that. You know that version. I'll just um, take the node modules directory that's that's already part of this package in the registry." Um, and so there are some trade-offs with that because now some somebody couldn't like upgrade a version of that transitive dependency. But uh, um, like for a package like LeftPad, for example, if everybody had been using uh, bundled dependency uh, for LeftPad, then nobody would have had a problem because LeftPad would have been actually included in um, the uh, in the package itself. Uh, they, it doesn't need to actually resolve to the registry. So that's another thing to look at and, and think about the trade-offs. I actually have a video on YouTube where I explain how this works, um, and so I'll, I'll post a link to that um, in the show notes. Any other uh, thoughts or ideas about optimizing your uh, package that you publish? OK, sweet. So another question that I have is, uh, when would somebody start thinking about using one of the um, methods that you all have? Uh, let's start with Lerna. Like, when would I start to think maybe I should start using Lerna? Uh, okay. Uh, Henry is going to go there. Um, so Lerna is not necessarily meant for people who are publishing a single package at a time. 
it's meant for these sort of monolithic projects like Lodash or Babel or Meteor or Ember or Angular, all these different things. Um, and y you end up wanting to put things in separate packages, but um, Lerna takes this idea of a monorepo so that you can have, you can centralize your version control uh, while having those sort of like independent like micro modules that NPM loves so much. Um, and in this way, uh, Learner Learn can automate the process for you, but it's also meant to be extensible and scriptable. Um, so people have built things that uh, like semantic release uh, for uh, Lerna and um, uh, I know John does a lot of stuff in terms of uh, his own, the way he versions things in terms of introspecting the actual code that has been written. Um, and Lerna is meant to be this sort of scriptable uh, sort of platform so that uh, it's not just like this is exactly how you do something and it's sort of rigid in that way, but uh, it allows you to uh, specify a lot of different things and sort of use its internal tools to like build other things. Uh, and we're just looking to do more and more of that, so um, yeah. Cool. And what about uh, semantic release? Uh, at what point would I start to think, okay, maybe I should start using semantic release for this? Is it something where like my project has to get big enough, or I have to release it enough, or like when does semantic release make? So I think it's um, it's the opposite because Learner is something that um, pretty huge projects use that are modularized internally, and semantic release is something that. Um, like once you are familiar with it and agree with its with its ideas, is something that you can use for something really really small because it's not about one big project that's broken down into multiple modules. It's about having um, multiple modules um, like that you write in in your everyday life or whatever, and then um, having a way to publish them. Like they don't have to be connected. It's it's about having one um, safe way of publishing all your modules without much overhead, without having to be locked into the right NPM account or whatever. It's just this one way um, where it can, can um, publish um, packages. And you can set it up with a simple CLI. Um, so it's one command in the beginning, and then it's set up for you, and you don't have to touch it anymore. So you can use it for something as small as like one function as, as soon as you decide to have it in, in an NPM package. And I, I'll just mention that I actually do have it on uh, modules that are like one function. Um, semantic release is, uh, has been awesome for that. Um, and actually, I, I, I was going to put this in my uh, tips, but um, I have a generator for my open source modules, and it totally includes semantic release. And, and so like instantly, all of my modules have semantic release um, added to it, and I don't have to think about releasing things anymore. It just kind of... I just think about making changes to code, and then everything else um, happens automatically for me. Thank you for semantic release. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm glad you like it. So I, uh, I want to add something to it, because when you have all these modules, um, you probably have written them once, but you're not, also not in um, active development for them all of the time. So this is also pretty handy, because you can just go into a pull request and um, once you merge it, the new version is out. You don't have to do anything um, with that. 
But um, GitHub introduced a lot of new features for pull requests. So in the pull, re in the pull request um, interface, you can now squash and merge. So you can rewrite the commit message in there. Um, you can protect your master branch, so you like have control over um, when these um, releases happen. And so, if, as I said, these small modules that you've written once, and then maybe there comes a pull request in, and as soon as you you like it, um, you, you do just uh, merge the pull request, and then the new version is out, and you don't have to touch it or anything. So it's set and forget for like all these small modules. Cool. Um, John, we didn't give you a chance to, to touch on this with that. Like, basically, from my perspective, it sounds like your solution is much more, like, specific to your needs. Would you say that, it like, that's a good solution for, like, um, for other people, or, or would you recommend that they uh, try to use one of these, like, prepackaged solutions? So mine, mine was just unique because it, it, it came up over time as, as I started adding more and more modules. Um, I like I said earlier, I'm I'm actually trying to get rid of my way of doing it because it's it's a lot of overhead and it's starting to defeat the purpose. Um, I I'm also starting to lean towards less mono repo and more bundle uh, package. Um, so one package that has a lot of modules in it uh, because I'm a utility library like uh, that's what I'm into, right? Um, so. Whereas Babel has lots of plugins and things like that, Lodash is a collection of, of utilities, um, and so I, I'm I'm leaning more towards just having one package and and modules because it, it integrates into things like uh, uh, the Babel plugin for um, cherry picking uh, individual methods, which is a Babel plugin Lodash, and it integrates into um, uh, Lodash Webpack plugin, which dynamically rewires uh, the module paths for smaller builds. Um, so I'm finding I actually get more benefit uh, from one package, and it's also easier to manage because it's just one package um, uh, versus 400 of them. Um, so I, that's that's where I'm I'm actually leaning is to just do the one. Um, it's tricky right now though because like npm uses the individual packages uh, for for it. So I, I'm going to have to work through like. Showing people that there's actually it's actually been it's it's actually more beneficial to use the the single package than it is to use the individual ones. You get smaller builds um, out of it too, which is which is great, and uh, it, it's maintained more frequently. I, I do releases to the individual pack or to the the primary Lodash package more frequently than I, I have to uh, to do for the 400 other ones. So. And I think it's also way easier to deduplicate the one Lodash module rather than having all the individual ones, especially if there are two ways and you have dependencies to use the individual ones and you use the global Lodash package, then it's hard to deduplicate. And if everyone would just use the one Lodash, you could deduplicate it and then pick the individual modules from there. So I agree with that. Yeah, the, the individual modules are nice, though, because um, in situations where you want to mix, like, uh, the, a Lodash 4.0 method with a Lodash 3.0 or with an underscore code base, you can just pull in that one. Um, but uh, just overall, it's so much easier just to work with the one package because they could always include that one package and then cherry pick in the, the one module. Now, it wouldn't work with the, the, the two Lodash versions together, right? But um, but that's that's the one case where it wouldn't work, but everywhere else, it, it, it's pretty, pretty flexible. So, yeah, I'm starting to... to to lean that way. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually ran into this exact thing previously. Uh, and it, having individual packages do, does actually make it easier to incrementally migrate major versions of Lodash. Uh, at my previous job, we were stuck on, I believe it was Lodash 2 or 3 uh, because of, I think, the extend function like had changed very slightly and it broke something when we tried to upgrade. Um, and if we were to have those individual things, we could have been able to track down exactly which things broke and which things didn't, and um, and we would have found that much sooner, I think, uh, and not been blocked by it, uh, because we had to, like, go down through, like, eight levels of dependencies to upgrade, like, some random one that was using Lodash 2 or 3, and it was just a mess. The, uh... um, and, and meanwhile, the only other option was either including two versions of Lodash or include or um, just pinning a really old version of Lodash, which both options suck, so, yeah. Um, I'm noticing that uh, devs are, are interesting when it comes, or users are interesting when it comes to, to modules and, and packages. Uh, uh, if, if you have a package and it has too many dependencies, devs will say, it's gross, it's too modular, I don't like it. Um, but being modular at that level gives you a lot of benefits because there's less code duplication. Uh, so it's this weird hang-up where if you have a, a single package but it's got pushing three dependencies, four dependencies, if any more than two dependencies and devs start to turn away from the package. Um, so what I've had to do is inline a lot of the dependencies for the individual modularized uh, packages, which is, is gross, but it, it actually increased adoption. Because devs were like, oh, it's just this one package with very little dependencies. But in reality, I'm inlining a ton of the dependencies for it. Um, and I, I really don't want to do that anymore either. Uh, so I, I, I think that with the, the, the trans, uh, transition from 4 to 5, there'll be less breaking changes. And it's more about being just modular first instead of monolithic first. So I think um, from that standpoint, there should be less of, of the need to use the individual package to supplement breaking changes for an older version or to, to bypass breaking changes. Yeah, and I uh, want to add another thing, which is um, download speed, because if you always have to um, install the huge Slowdash package, it, it would be intuitive to think that that makes things slower. But um, that way, it's way easier for NPM to cache it. So um, you're always um, having this one Lodash thing in your cache folder, and it's just copied over. You're not downloading um, anything. And the thing that's really costing you the time is all the round trips for all these individual um, Lodash submodules. So actually, this is going to speed up installs um, and not making them slower. I. I sort of have to disagree, because I think a lot of this tends to get a bit exaggerated in how much it actually impacts people, because, one, NPM's cache really doesn't ever even get touched. Um, people, it just sort of ignores it unless you pass an explicit flag and, like, only lo look it up from the sort of offline version. Uh, and packages like Lodash that would uh, sort of be broken down to this level uh, tends to... It's, it's small enough that I've never seen an actual issue with it, um, and you're saving, like, milliseconds at best. 
Um, so uh, that sort of trade-off, I would never really even consider it. It's it's touching the cache though. Like it's still talking to the to the registry, but you never um, download the the tarball for the same version twice. So, like because there could be one reason to like split it up because I don't want to download this huge tarball, but this is only happen, going to happen once for the uh, individual versions of Lodash. Yeah, but that doesn't behave any differently if you have one package or thirty. Um, it's all. Once it's there, it's there, uh, and yeah, so but the, the difference the doesn't end up sorry. impacting anyone. Yeah, but the likelihood is higher that you already have installed Lodash once before, and you have you save all these round trips because it's just Lodash, not Lodash unique, Lodash for each whatever. But mm -hmm. yeah. I actually like having my npm install take a long time because that gives me more time to play like foosball or get on Twitter or like <laughs> just kidding. Um, so we're actually we're coming down on our time here a little bit. Uh, I wanted to talk about one other thing, and we have one question on Twitter, um, and that thing is um, npm scripts. Um, and so, what are some of the pro tips that you can give about um, you, whether you use npm scripts at all, or what kind of uh, tools that you use to script these things? You don't use scripts. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I like NPM scripts. I mean, like, I, I don't know what to, to really say about them. They're super handy. They, they treat your, your dependencies like they're installed globally, uh, which is nice uh, for executing things like uh, using Babel to build things or, or using uh, Mocha or whatever. Um, I, uh, there's some advanced things, too, where it can, um, it can take uh, the variables into the command line as well, um, and I've only used that like once or twice, but that's that's super handy. I've started to use um, build scripts a lot, or sorry, just scripts in general a lot in, in uh, Lodash and its its related packages. Uh, super handy. So I would say jump into it, use them. Uh, specifically, I was kind of thinking uh, there's a uh, NPM script that historically has been a little controversial, and that's the pre-published script. Um, so there's a, a really long issue on NPM uh, that's entitled something like uh, pre-publish inexplicably runs on install. Um, and when I saw that, that issue the first time, my thought, or, or the way I interpreted it, was that like when other people install your package, it runs your pre-published script. Um, which, like, generally you'd have that run the build and whatever. Um, turns out that's not actually what happens. And so I, I have a video where I explain exactly how the pre-published script uh, works because I, like, told a ton of people never to use pre-published scripts because of that reason. Turns out it's a fantastic uh, script to, to use. Um, and so, yeah, you can uh, definitely use it. Um, it's, it's pretty helpful, uh, like... You know, before you run or before you publish something, you want to make sure you run the test and you run linting and you run the build. And, and using uh, these uh, npm scripts with these hooks uh, can be really useful. Like, um, you have a build script and then you also have like a pre-build script that will delete the original disk directory or something like that. Uh, so I I would recommend to people to check out npm scripts and and how they can be leveraged for publishing packages. So any last thoughts uh, before we get into our Twitter questions? Okay, sweet. So uh, we have Kyle Jackson, uh, Rob Stock, uh, who asks, would it be best to start with Lerna if a 
collection will become quite large or to just start with semantic release when starting small. Uh, yeah, so I think that uh, Lerna is great if you do plan on having that uh, sort of gradual growth. Uh, if you're not, then I would say it's probably just overhead for you. Um, Lerna goes a little bit further than just publishing. Uh, it, it can help with stuff like bootstrapping your repository so that you have... Um, so when you're developing like a ton of different modules uh, and they that have interdependencies, you have this issue of like having different versions inside of each node modules folder. Um, and so Lerna also solves the issue of like development and this whole workflow uh, by sort of linking together the packages uh, to pretend that you're working on one's like normal version altogether. Um, and, and this sort of helps build uh, before you're even starting to publish stuff. Uh, so, yeah, uh, going back to the original question, uh, if you plan on wanting to publish a bunch of different uh, modules or even just a handful of them, uh, it can be useful. Uh, but I wouldn't introduce it just for the sake of introducing it. Um, that's never a good thing to do with any any tool. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Pro tip. <laughs> I, I, I think that Learner is something that um, get developed for very um, big projects. And I think um, if you grow really, really big, you have very specific problems. Um, and I think Learner isn't something I would use um, if I don't feel those problems and if I don't have something that I really want to solve. It's not something I just use for because I want to use it, um, which is a bit different than, than uh, with semantic release. I almost feel like that's uh, in a similar vein to something like GraphQL and Relay. Is uh, Those are catered a lot better to really, really big problems. Um, although, like, it's fun tech, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> cool. Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll get into our uh, tips and picks section. So um, I'll go ahead and uh, we'll have Pam go first, then I'll go, and then uh, we'll give our guests a chance. Um, and I, I think this might be a little bit of a surprise for James, so we'll let uh, James go last. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Pam, why don't you go ahead? Sure. So uh, my tip for the week is not so much a tip, but I kind of fell into an internet hole trying to figure out what the NYC in Istanbul slash NYC stands for. Um, as far as I can tell, I think most a bunch of you all are smiling, but so that won't come across in audio. Um, but uh, if you find out, let me know. I'm interested to know. Um, so the my pick for the week, though, is something that I think is really cool. LAM CI is a a uh, serverless continuous integration tool. So it's pretty neat. Uh, so if you need a build, ser uh, build server, but you don't want to run a build server, you can use LAMP CI to run your continuous integration on AWS Lambda. So it's really neat. It's all JavaScript, so it's awesome. Uh, definitely check it out. Very cool. Um, so for me, I have uh, one tip, and that is automate things. Um, so I. I have a link to a blog post that I wrote where the premise is, um, you know, um, saving time isn't the only reason for automation. Um, and in, in the case of, like, publishing packages and stuff, I've definitely saved a ton of time um, 
by automating things, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more reasons for automating things, so I recommend you automate stuff. And then for my picks, um, I pick Ngrok. If you haven't heard of Ngrok, it's Secure Tunnels to Localhost. It is fantastic, a really, really gr great tool. I recommend that you use it. Um, you probably have use cases for it. And then I am also going to pick uh, my Egghead IO course, How to Write a JavaScript Library. I think I've picked it before, but um, I think that it's it's really helpful if you're, um, whether you're just getting into writing um, open source or if you've been doing it for a long time, there are things in there that um, hopefully you can learn from. So, great. Uh, and I do talk about actually publishing. Like, in the course, I publish a package, and it's, yeah, so good stuff. Um, all right, John, why don't we have you go next? All right, cool. So my first tip is uh, reduce barriers for contributions. So that means that if you have code style checking and things like that and linting, maybe make it an optional fail uh, just so uh, you're not bombarding a new contributor with tons of nitpicks, right? It's easy to, to merge and, and uh, clean up after than it is to sit there and berate them with, like, uh, semicolon here, space here, yada, yada, yada. So I, I find it's easier to, to get uh, happy contributors uh, by being a little loose on the guidelines to allow them. Like, I, I publish the same contributing text as everyone else that says, hey, use this style checker, and, you know, I have all the builds, the, the scripts in there to do it, um, but if they don't, I'm a little lenient on that and allow them to, to go ahead and, and merge the, the commit. Um, the second tip is, let me see if I can pull that up, um, is a volunteer if you uh, see a, a project that is lagging behind and not um, not releasing as regularly as, as, as you'd like or uh, maybe they've gone, uh, the repo has gone cold, um, usually just pinging the author and saying, hey, I'd like to pick it up um, and help out um, You'll, you'll be surprised. I mean, I've done that to a couple of projects and, and brought them back from being uh, neglected. So I would say I go for that. Uh, and you, you don't have to, by doing that, you don't have to take on the, the, the role alone. You can then start to prime other uh, contributors to become uh, core as well. So I've, um, I'm reposting uh, isjs at the moment. Um, and so while the maintainer is away, I'm, I'm there closing issues, merging pull requests, getting it ready to do a version bump, but I'm also finding new contributors that would like to become core so I can then step out and then the project is then continued to be maintained and, and updated. Um, the pick for today is uh, ESLint plugin import. So this is a uh, ESLint plugin that will help um, lint your ES6 modules, and they are just now adding unambiguous grammar support. Yay! So uh, unambiguous grammar is part of the, the node proposal for handling ES module imports. Um, uh, it basically states that your ES module uh, must have at least an import or export declaration, and so this linting rule will help validate that. Uh, it's my baby step into getting it included into ESLint. Uh, the, the parent uh, uh, linting uh, uh, project, but uh, we'll start off with a plugin first, and so there, that's the one. It's called, uh, again, um, ESLint Plugin Import, uh, so check that out. I love that plugin. It has saved my bacon a lot. It's awesome. Um, cool. Uh, uh, Stefan, why don't you go next? 
Yeah, sure. So for the tips, as um, can't you you mentioned life hacks and uh, publishing, automating publishing is about saving time. I have one life tip: if you're able to, always bring your skateboard to the airport because that's a huge time saver. Um, and for the picks, I wanted to pick npm pack and npm prune. Um, we talked about them before, so I'm just repeating it. Um, these are very very handy commands. Then. Another thing I'm picking is the npm changes feed. Um, so the npm registry is or um, traditionally was um, a CouchDB instance, um, and um, and it, yeah, sorry, just get interrupted. So it was um, just a CouchDB or a Couch app, and the changes feed is still available, which is uh, skimdb.npmjs.com, and using um, yeah, standard CouchDB tools, you can just get information about packages in real time, and you can build uh, really cool things with it. And the third thing is um, shrink wrap. I just wanted to um, give you the tip, like I've um, experimented with that in, in the past, that if you publish a package and you have a shrink wrap file present, um, the publish, or rather the install, is going to respect the, the shrink wrap. So I'm experimenting with like only generating, not having the shrink wrap file in the repository, but generating it on publish so that um, when users install the package you are really, really, um, really want to have certain versions of, you can just use the shrink wrap to have the exact same dependency tree as at the time when you were publishing. Um, I think that's it, yeah. Interesting. Um, hmm, I'll have to. Uh, think about that for a little bit. Um, cool, Henry. Oh, sorry, John. Did you have a comment? Uh, I was going to say, if you shrink wrap, I think it it uh, means it bypasses the cache too. There's there's other packages uh, available that does something similar to shrink wrap but bypasses that. I'll uh, have to dig it up and we'll put it in the links below. But cool. Sweet. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so my tip is um. That if you ever have like a question about like the code of a project or something like that, it, it could be that we someone just needs to make a PR for it. And the context of this was uh, Dan Abramov, he posted on Twitter uh, why the Babel um, output for imports had two variable declarations in it. And later um, I, we looked into it and it's like, yeah, it didn't have to be. So it was just that no one really thought of like inlining to the thing. So a lot of times, uh, you know, if you have a suggestion, you know, you should bring it up and maybe uh, either ask someone else to do it or make a PR for it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and I made the PR, so hopefully that goes in soon. <laughs> uh, and I might fix, um, there's a project called The Bad, which is uh, the opposite of Babel. So if anyone is looking forward to using ES6 and they want to use Babel, but they want to like hand uh, translate their ES5 code to ES6, they can use this project called Labab, which is literally just Babel backwards. Uh, and the project used to be called 5 to 6. Uh, and then my last pick, um, so I made a Chrome extension a while ago that what it lets you do is when you go to a PR or an issue, and, you're, um, and you want to know how many issues or PRs a collaborator has made before you can know that. So if someone's coming to your project for the first time, they'll tell you at the top of their name, they'll say, like, oh, this is their first PR to this project. 
So then you'll know, like, oh, I can, like, help them out or, you know, their experience and stuff like that. Yeah, I love that extension. It's awesome. Um, and I also love Labab. It's a fantastic project. It's really impressive. Um, cool. Now, James. Uh, yeah, my tip is uh, go home, stop working, take a vacation. Uh, don't work on the weekends. Uh, JavaScript is cool, but the other side of your pillow is cooler. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't always there, and more people should be there. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, um, my, what's the other term that we use, picks? Uh, my pick for the week uh, is uh, flowtype.org. Uh, if you go to, flow is a, a static type checker for JavaScripts. Um, it's great at incrementally migrating your system to having types, uh, and if you've ever had the problem of undefined is not a function, then um, this is for you, uh, and you can use it with the, uh, a couple different IDEs and make it the experience much nicer. Uh, it's sort of what I've been working on during what Facebook calls boot camp. Uh, so, uh, yeah, check it out. It's great. Awesome. Great. Thanks. This has been a great show. Let me just wrap up with a couple uh, closing announcements. So, um, yeah, just like to give a shout out to our sponsors. Um, React.js program is uh, master the React.js ecosystem with Tyler McGinnis. And Sentry is uh, cross-platform crash reporting. So check them out. Thank you, Silver Sponsors. Um, if you have suggestions for the show, for guests or topics or both, go to jsair.io slash suggest. Uh, if you have uh, feedback for this show or any uh, of the other shows or the show in general, then go to jsair.io slash feedback. And if you want to jump on our uh, weekly newsletter that gives highlights about the show and other interesting things, then go to jsair.io slash email. And then, as always, we are a weekly show, so check us out next week uh, on Getting Started with Web Audio. Should be stellar. And uh, with that, I think we'll just say goodbye. So thank you so much uh, for our guests coming. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you all later. Bye.